football, baseball, basketball, anything sports. Auburn's 91.1 FM WEGL presents the scoreboard with your co-hosts, Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcomed at 334-844-9345 or follow them on Twitter at Jacob underscore Hillman 3 or at Bay underscore Marks. Now, let's take a look at the scoreboard with Bay and Jacob. Welcome to the scoreboard on WGL 91.1 FM. Not in the Weagle Studios today live, but me and Jacob are recording back at home today due to Jacob. We're going to be traveling to Tuscaloosa for the Auburn Baseball Series tomorrow. This is being recorded Wednesday night, but will go live Thursday at 4 p.m. at our normal showtime. First and foremost, Jacob, the man who is going to go on the road, the cursed road man. How are you? Well, see, I'm excited because it's the first time I've traveled for a sporting event since pre-COVID, since the time we thought I broke that curse when Auburn defeated Tennessee in basketball to end the regular season So we'll get to test that theory now. Yeah, we're, we're going to see, see if, if it's broken. See, because we're thinking that Turbo Jones shot was the Thanos snap of it all, and we'll see if what happens this weekend because, hey, Auburn baseball got a big win on Tuesday night against Georgia Tech. We'll talk about that later on, but, hey, I'm just saying, don't give up on those Diamond Tigers yet. Don't ever give up on Butch Thompson. You saw what happened in 2019 when they went to the College World Series. And like Jacob said, we're going to get into this Auburn baseball discussion on today's podcast episode. A lot on the docket today. A lot of interesting stuff to talk about. We're going to kick it off with A-Day here on the plane Saturday, April 17th at 1 o'clock. Then we're going to move on. Auburn basketball gets a huge commitment from Walker Kessel from North Carolina. That roster continues to grow. Then we'll move on to Auburn baseball, like we mentioned. And we're going to cap today's show off with some MLB. And while we were starting this podcast, a no-no was thrown. So stick around for that when we get to that part of today's show. Uh, The second one this season so far in this young MLB season. One of our teams is turning it around. The other one also (laughs) suffered a tough loss tonight in extras. Still a little salty. That happened about 10 minutes ago. Yes, it's taking a lot of strength for Jacob to <laughs> to be here right now. But anyways, we're going to go ahead and get into it. A-Day 2021. A-Day 2020 was canceled. New head coaching staff. First A-Day for Brian Harson and his staff here on the Plains. It's going to be this Saturday, April the 17th at 1 o'clock on Pat Dye Field inside Jordan-Hare Stadium. 40% capacity. Um, and I think that's only because of all the construction. Yes, I was just about to say, and that is due to the construction in two parts, not just one part of the stadium. Uh, the east upper deck. And then uh, some parts of the lower bowl, they're doing construction. Like Jacob said, I believe if there was a construction, it might be 50 to, I'd say, 60% capacity. But nonetheless, maybe even more. Maybe even more. Now with COVID cases going down and vaccines going out. But regardless, like we mentioned, first A-Day for Brian Harson, the guy who's bringing a new juice to this program. I guess really to start it off, if Auburn gets to play Saturday, it's supposed to be raining, some bad weather in the forecast. Maybe it'll hold off like it did today. Um I guess first and foremost, what what is something that we should be looking out for, Jacob, in a day? Well, what I'll say is don't have high expectations or much expectations because new coaching staff, new offensive scheme, the defensive scheme is probably going to be a little bit different with Derek Mason as well coming in, Mike Bobo on the offensive side. But you know what I'm looking forward to is just kind of the energy that that will be surrounding this program, that with the fans, with the players, the coaches, all the above. And obviously that's something that is hard to gauge on a Saturday in April, especially if the weather is kind of a factor and people don't show out because of that. And even if that is the case, you still just want to see if guys have bought in yet. 
And even if they haven't, it's not the end of the world. You still got the whole summer. You got fall camp and everything for guys to really find their spot on this team and really make an impact. And I think we're still going to see guys try to find their spot. It was announced earlier this week, J.J. Pegues, to the defensive line. I don't think Ladarius Tennyson, I don't think he's going to be playing the nickel this year. He's going to be playing safety, and that's going to help out Auburn a lot. So I think it's going to be about seeing how all these players are fitting into the new schemes that they are learning right now. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because, just like we said, even though it is a new head coaching staff, but it's the same university, each head coach likes their spring games different. Um, you, There's not a big chance of you seeing all 14 SEC teams have the similar A-Day, or not A-Day, a spring game format. So A-Day will be quite different. I'm expecting to see a different format under Gus Malzahn. They recently developed like a 7-on-7 seven seven kind of deal along with dealing with the scrimmage. Um, I think that was also doing part of Jared Siddham's hurt shoulder that one year that kind of sparked that. But regardless... Um, we don't know if it's going to be any individual activities like we saw in that open practice several weeks ago or if it's just going to be sh- uh, straight scrimmage like a normal game. Um, like Jacob said, I think a big thing to look out for besides J.J. Pegues, who apparently has been showing out. I sent uh, Jacob a picture today. There was a billboard um, in Auburn's athletic department um, down on Donahue Drive. I'm trying to pull it up right now and see if I can see it. Yeah, it says best of the day and has different positions on the team. One person that on defense stood out was J.J. Pegues along with Jalen Simpson. So seems like Pegues is fitting into that new role nicely. Um, to go ahead and kick it off for me, I think the number one position that I'm going to be looking at on Saturday is wide receiver. Obviously, you lose Seth Williams, you lose Anthony Schwartz, and you lose Eli Stowe. Three veteran guys, three guys that are looking to go to the pros. So you have a very young wide receiving core headlined by guys like Kobe Hudson, Elijah Canyon, other guys like Xavier Capers who's been battling injuries. And then you have uh, a senior in Shedrick Jackson who's been battling injury as well. He's been in non-contact a little bit. But even Brian Harson said he's looking for those guys to come back out. Yeah, and another receiver to look out for is Javarius Johnson. He's been getting reviews like crazy in the spring. I think he's become the talk of the spring since Jeremiah Wright went down. Absolutely. And because of his... He's small. I think he's only 180 pounds around there, maybe even smaller. 159, according yeah. to the official website. E- even smaller than that. He might be Auburn's punt returner this year, but the big thing that he's transitioned to this spring is that slot receiver position. And I think that's going to be a much more important role in Mike Bobo's offense versus the Gus Malzahn offense because that slot receiver is almost used like a blocking back sometimes, like Shedrick Jackson will play right. that. But it's going to be a lot different now. And I think Javarius Johnson fits that role really well. And who knows? He might he might be that guy that really, really shines in the spring game. Now, the issue with that is it seems like every time someone shines in the spring game, they disappear. Right. I mean, it was Matthew Hill two years ago. Myron I mean, Burton. Yes. I mean, there's it's it's a spring game. That's all you can right. really say about it. Now, you get, you get a new look at the offense, which will be going under center. You'll get to see how these wide receivers are affected by new playing calling and stuff like that. Because we have heard it's going to be more of a pro style. Um, there's going to be a lot more interaction with the tight ends like Luke Deal. Uh, John Samuel Shanker won't be there, but he, he's another tight end that's been a veteran. Brandon Frazier apparently has been looking a lot better according to Deal. Um, and even Tyler Fromm, you've heard some reports about him actually stepping up, working super hard. I mean, he's put on some weight. He weighs 240 pounds now. So. I, I mean, I think that's a big part of why Pegues moves to the defensive line. Yeah. I think he's going to excel there. But also, look at the plethora of talent you have on the tight end roster because – you got so many guys that you're like, hey, we got to use them all. So let's use J.J. Pegues in a spot that he's also really great at, and that's that defensive line spot. But I want to go back to what you're saying. You know, it's just a spring game. Think about back to 2010. Cam Newton did not look good no, <laughs> in his yeah, spring game. No. I, I People were going for Barrett Trotter to start right after that, and we saw what happened in the fall. So 
there shouldn't be any overreactions to Saturday, but it's going to be a good look at what things will, what things will be different after last year because of the coaching change, the the the, the culture change, and, and we'll see what kind of new excitement is brought to the program. I think a few position groups that you won't have to worry anything about. Obviously, quarterback. We all know Bo Nix for at least the first four or five games will be the starting quarterback unless somehow he screws up in those first four or five games. Um, and running back with Sean Shires and Tank Bigsby. The real question is after that, who comes behind him, behind them? But the one position I really think that a lot of fans do not need to worry about is the defensive back position. I mean, that is without a doubt. I mean, I guess you can make an argument for linebacker, but that's the most loaded and experienced group that you have right now. Well, see, in the defensive backfield, you've got a lot of talent. And as I mentioned, the one spot that you could be worried about is the spot that someone has to fill for Jamie and Sherwood. But apparently, Ladarius Tennyson is moving back there. Who we next to smoke Monday? Right. And then when you look at the three corner positions, you're going to have Pritchett, you're going to have McCreary, you're going to have Simpson out there. It's just a matter of who's playing the nickelback. Right. And it'll probably be Pritchett, even if he is a little bit better than Simpson. And because it's one of those things where you're thinking, okay, Pritchett's probably better than Simpson on the outside. But he's going to be really good right. on the inside playing See, that it, slot receiver. And the thing was, I don't know who it was today that tweeted out from the Auburn beat, was that Jalen Simpson, not only physically, but was mentally hurt last year, especially after the Kentucky game. I was going to say. He got really banged up in that Kentucky game, and he had a great first half in that game. And he said after that, the rest of the season, just uh, mentally and physically for him was not the same. And he said he's rehab, he's gotten a lot bigger and stronger, and he said he's just ready to knock somebody's head off. Well, it was definitely obvious that he was physically hurt the entire season. I think he missed a couple of games. I think the South Carolina game was one of the games he, he missed. missed a few, yeah. And, and that was a big deal. But, yeah, I mean, that will obviously hurt your confidence. It will hurt your mental game. And as a cornerback, that's probably a really big deal. You get burned one time, you got to come back from that. Oh, absolutely. And, and, if you, and if you don't, you're going to have a tough day. So I really think that the defensive backfield being more experienced is going to be a heck of a deal breaker for this Auburn Tiger team. They're, they're going to really excel on the defensive side with Derek Mason leading the way, even if, like you said, the other spots, like like you say linebacker, but I think the depth is what would be more concerning because Owen Papo and Sakoe McClain, we, we know what we're going to get out of them. Chandler's just knocking the rust off, but he apparently looks right. really good. So. And after them, it's just the guys like Cam Riley and Wesley mm-hmm. Steiner that have to fill in. I mean, um, you had transfers out at that position this past offseason with guys like Octavius Brothers, who was a high recruit in high school, ended up not playing at Auburn. But um, all in all, I guess the number one thing to say about A-Day is besides these positions that we're talking about, like wide receiver and see how defensive line shakes out, um, things to look out for in this game is more so what does the new Derek Mason defense look like? How does the defense communicate? Because apparently they had a great scrimmage last weekend. And then what does the offense look like under Bo Nix? I think the biggest thing for Bo Nix this year, and especially in the spring game that a lot of people want to see, is pocket presence and accuracy. I think the past two years, uh, in his freshman year, it was something he really got away with. Um, his problem has been leaving the pocket very early and then inaccurate throwing. So I think those are the two biggest things that a lot of people want to see under Mike Bobo. Yeah, and Bo Nix... That's the big thing is the progression. A lot of fans didn't see that last year, and I think that's safe to say he didn't really progress last year. I don't yeah. really think he regressed, but I think he kind of stayed stagnant. Exactly, yeah. and and it was it was obvious to see that and the struggles with the South Carolina game, and that that was obviously the one the one thing that stood out from last season. So we'll we'll see on Saturday if there's any immediate progression. Don't expect that. That's going to happen more after the summer and the fall and once the season gets going. 
But and one more thing I want to mention: you still don't have the full roster. No. Guys like Drayshon Miller, the transfer from West Virginia, he's going to help at that cornerback position as well once he arrives in the summer. You could argue that Auburn is possibly going to have the deepest secondary in the SEC. Yeah, because I, I mean, for half the season last year, they were up there as one of the best secondaries in the SEC until they kind of fell off towards the later half of the season. Yeah, and I think that just that latter half of the season was just just a combination of everything. You know, the frustrating loss to South Carolina, that kind of derailed everything, I think. Even when you bounce back with huge wins over LSU, it, it, it's tough to tough to deal with that. Well, that's it for the Auburn A-Day. That is going to be Saturday, April 17th at 1 o'clock inside Jordan-Hare Stadium. Excuse me. Um, like I said, 40% capacity. Students are going to get in free, and I believe uh, general admission tickets are $10, so the Auburn family will be making their way out to that game. The Auburn family also was very ecstatic, not only about football, but about basketball this past week, as Walker Kessler committed to Auburn, the seven foot one, 245-pound center from North Carolina, played one season with the Tar Heels, is transferring to Auburn, was a high recruit out of Georgia, a top three recruit out of that state. Um, Auburn was one of his final schools coming out of high school. He was class of 2020, and like I said, he didn't pick Auburn. He went to UNC, got stuck behind some big men, and one of the best prospects in basketball is transferring to Auburn. That makes three transfers in the past three weeks for Auburn in their basketball program. Yeah, and this is really a game changer for what we can expect to see from Auburn basketball next year. And you would expect Walker Kessler to start, but even if he doesn't, even if Jalen Williams were to step up his game and hold on to that starting spot at center, this lineup could be one of the biggest in the country. And it probably be. will be anyway, because you're going to have your 5'11 point guard, whether that's Zeb Jasper, whether it's Wendell Green Jr., or someone else that comes in, you know, Scoot Henderson, Ty Ty Washington, if either of them commit and play next season, those, those whoever that is, doesn't matter. But after that, what I want to see, and I, I'm, I think it's wishful thinking, but it's an Allen Flanagan at shooting guard, JT Thor, Jabari Smith at the three and four, whichever way that works, and then of course you have Walker Kessler at the five. And you've got three six ten plus guys at the three, four, and five positions, and then Allen Flanagan who's six six at the shooting guard position, and then you've got the Bruce Pearl prototype point, point guard, guard, short and fast, and I can mean, shoot the ball. I don't think you can ask for a better starting five than that it's kind of a, a similar makeup to the auburn the 2018 2019 team that went to the final four but with a taller shooting guard and a taller four and five right and i agree i think auburn obviously will have one of the taller lineups in basketball like you said whoever that point guard is short quick he can score alan flanagan he should be starting at the two over Devin cameras no question about it and then if jt thor comes back like you said the rest of what jacob's lineup was but let's say Thor does leave, then the ideal lineup you could say would be to, if you don't put Allen at the two, put Devin at the two, Allen at a three, and then it kind of comes down to, okay, are we going to sit Jalen Williams and start two freshmen, or freshmen in a uh, transfer, or are we going to put Jalen in as a starter because it's his third year and he's in our program? That's the only dilemma I see, but no, regardless, it's a great problem to have. Walker Kessler was one of the best players out of high school. He had 18.7 points a game in high school, nearly 11 rebounds a game, and over five blocks a game in high school. Um, Justin Ferguson on Twitter did a bunch of nerd stats on him. So if you're into uh, stats like that, go check Justin out. They're great. One that one that he tweeted was the 3.3 percent, uh, 3.3 steal percentage. Right. That's insane for a big man. It is. And and one thing I'll add about the shooting guard position: if JT Thor were to leave, or they decided not to play that massive lineup, and they have Smith Smith's not going to come off the bench, but if they had Thor come off the bench, or however they work that out, and you have Flanagan at the three. 
I mean, hey, Zep Jasper, Trey Alexander, they can compete for that starting two-guard position. And we've seen what Devin Cambridge can do off the bench. He can be that spark plug. He's better off the bench. So it's one of those things where I'm not going to immediately plug him in, not to say, oh, Trey Alexander and Zep Jasper are better than him. But it might work out where the ideal starting lineup is to have him coming off the bench five to ten minutes into the game. Now, this is a this is another crazy stat. We're all about the crazy stats. This puts Auburn's two highest program signings ever on the same team with Jabari Smith already at the number one spot, 99-8, and then Kessler to 99-230. And then Sharif right after that at like a 99-1, I believe, or close to a 99-2. Mm-hmm. Um, that's insane. I mean, Bruce Pearl has gotten three of the top players out of Georgia in the past two years. I mean, and that is a good basketball state with a lot of great athletes. And imagine if Sharif would have came back. Like I mean, that that that'd be the <laughs> most ideal lineup in Auburn basketball history. Auburn would be ranked number one in yes. many polls going yes. into the season if Sharif Cooper were back with Kessler transferring and Jabari Smith playing as a freshman. But I mean, I also look at it. I, we're we're not going to get into Alabama as much, but look at what they. It's an arms race. It's, it's an arms race. It's literally just who's going to grab the most talent within the offseason. Yeah, that's I, all it is. I think that. I think it's four of the top ten rated players that both teams have gotten are going to be playing next season. Yeah. It's That's a, incredible. The only way to describe it is an arms race. I mean, Auburn goes to the Final Four. Alabama hires a very effective and quick basketball coach, puts them in the SEC Championship game and wins it, goes to the Sweet 16, and then it's just a surge of talent into both programs within the state. Um, now, granted, Herb Jones and other guys like that at Alabama are leaving, just like Auburn had several transfers out. But Jacob makes a good point. The amount of talent coming into these two basketball programs, especially for the foreseeable future, not even just for the next few years, but while these two guys are the head coaches, it's going to be fun. Well, and you mentioned the transfers out for Auburn. I want to get into that a little bit. I I hope there's no more fans that are angry about that or are concerned about that because of what's coming. Right. You lose Justin Powell, you lose Jamal Johnson, Javon Franklin, and Sharif Cooper. Well, you bring in Trey Alexander, Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler, Wendell Green, and Zep Jasper. I mean, mean, that's a pretty good supplement for that. Yeah, it is, because because we really don't know what Justin Powell was going to be. Now, he ended up not going to Kentucky. I don't think we ever mentioned that. That was our our crystal ball. He ended up going to Tennessee, so... Hey, have fun in in front of a full jungle next year, Justin. That's what I'll say. We won't get too much into that. (laughs) That's an episode for fall of 2021. But that is true. um, No, I completely agree with that point. Is the fact that once you saw the few guys leaving the program, you did see a lot of the fan base kind of kind of question what was happening. Like, I mean, Alabama's getting all these top recruits, like we mentioned, and they got the Furman transfer, Noah Gurley, I believe was his name. The Auburn was chasing. Um, They got a few other transfers. It's just the fact that it's like. Our arch rival, who just went to the NCAA tournament and won the SEC championship, is getting transfers like this. Meanwhile, we have guys transferring out of our program, and we have a lot of empty promises just besides Jabari and Trey Alexander. What are we going to get? Well, Bruce Pearl start, turns around, gets Zepp Jasper. Okay, good transfer guard. Like I guess that'll suffice. Gets Wendell Green Jr., who is a freshman All-America. It's like, okay, like we really like this. And then to top it off with Walker Kessler and a potential of JT Thor coming back, it's like, Okay, we're we're satisfied now. Well, see, another thing is Auburn still has a roster spot remaining, a scholarship remaining, and if JT Thor were to leave, you got two, two in a plethora of talent on the transfer portal. I've used that word twice today, and the thing is, I really like what JT Thor brings. I want him to come back as much as possible, and even if he were to leave, like I said, go get another guard and then any big man, right? Any kind of big man, whether it's JUCO. 
whether it's from another uh, power school or even if it's from the lower ranks division two, something like that. Whatever you have to do, just get another big man because here's another thing. You got plenty of depth there. Well, yeah, and, the, and when you think about it, the two guys returning that come to my mind first is obviously beside or Jalen Williams, three, I should say, uh, Dylan Cardwell, and then you have Stretch Akimbola. Three guys that have been in the program for at least a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, that and that brings me to a, a question before we move on because I know we have other stuff we have to talk about, but we could we could go on this subject for hours. Um, but Jacob did mention if JT Thor were to leave, that's two open roster spots. But let's assume JT does come back. Let's just say JT Thor comes back and Auburn has this loaded lineup. They have one spot left. Let's say theoretically it comes down to giving that spot to, like Jacob mentioned, Ty Ty Washington or um, Scooter Henderson. Uh, saying Scooter Henderson reclassifies into the class of 2021 um, and not 22. If you had the final say so, who do you give that spot to? Well, if Scooter is. Or who would you sure. rather take that spot, See, I should say? Personally, I would, I would prefer it right now in, in the time we're in and what I, from what I know. I would be going after Washington just because it's unclear about his reclassification and who knows what he wants to do. Now that being said, ideally he wants to reclassify. Let's say yeah, let's say theoretically he does. Okay, then yeah, go after Henderson because yeah. I, I think Henderson is ready to play college basketball right now and potentially you get him like JT Thor where yeah he might have a great year, but he has a potential to come back for at least one more. Exactly. I agree. So I think that's kind of where you're at with that. With that being said, Ty Ty Washington. You are welcome. Yeah, you are yeah. absolutely welcome. No, no offense to Ty Ty. Uh, no, I agree. I, I think I feel the exact same way. I mean, you can't go wrong with either. I'll put that out there first of all. You can't go wrong. Ty Ty Washington, a six three guard as well, is quick, is good with the ball. Um, he's ready to play college basketball as well. I think if Scooter were to reclassify, he would be number one for me. Um, but having said that, you can't go wrong with either of them. Now, the thing also it leads to the question of. Who gets the playing time? I mean, we talked about this before the season started last year was the amount of talent on the team. It was how is Auburn going to divide and conquer the playing time? We'll see that within the non-con next year because that's a that's a concern well, for hey, Ben. But. Hey, in non-conference play, it's going to be like a 12-man rotation. Yes. Now, it's whenever you get into SEC play, does it get knocked down to 9 or 10? Yeah. Is, I don't think you can make an 8-man lineup work. No. You, someone will leave before the season ends. Yeah. And I don't that happened think, last year. Yeah, and yeah. I, I don't think. Yeah, we didn't mention Turbo Jones leaving as well. That's how that math adds up. But because Auburn had a free scholarship last year, five players left. Five players signed or committed. One spot left. Point being, I really think that you had to have a ten man rotation next year, and I don't think Bruce Pearl's is scared to do that. No. And the only reason the end of the year it was an eight man rotation was because of injuries and everything that was going on. So I. I'm, I'm looking forward to it because we're going to see a lot of talent on the floor and it's going to be fun to watch. The arms race continues in the state of Alabama for men's basketball. But like we said, go ahead. There was some scheduling news, actually. Today, John Rossing oh, yeah, reported that Auburn will travel to Tampa for non-conference play the upcoming season to play USF. That's the same spot as the SEC tournament. Auburn, let's have spring break that SEC tournament <laughs> week. That, that would be ideal. Well, that's the thing was, like, it, the SEC tournament had already been in Tampa before, but they do that weird rotation where it's like, what is it, Nationals for like two or three years, three. and then it'll go to a different city in the back there for a few years? I believe it's going to stick in Nashville for the next almost decade. And after that, I kind of expect to see it in Birmingham because of the renovated BJCC. I did see More things are coming to Birmingham. I, I do expect to see it back in Birmingham at some point, but it'd be cool to see it 
in uh, in Atlanta, State Farm Arena. Well, actually, I don't know if we want that because the past few times Auburn's played in the BJCC, it's been ridiculously close games. But they've won every time. I did win a competition in there. That is true. Well, you competed, but it was an impossible competition. I beat myself. It, yes, it was. It was impossible. How am I going to hit 10 three-pointers in 30 seconds? That's one three for every three seconds. No, that was impossible. You didn't win it because no one could have won that except maybe like Steph Curry with I, several I, rebounders. I only shot like six or seven shots. That's insane. I banked like two or three in. <laughs> My adrenaline was pumping, dude. It was nuts. Um, but anyways, Walker Kessler commits to Auburn. The arms race continues. That's going to do it for the Auburn basketball segment. Hey, it's still April, so we're still not sleeping until May. We do sleep in May, and it's only April 14th. Man, that man, that that Final Four was well, speaking fun. Of, speaking of Auburn basketball, Davion Mitchell did declare for the draft. He did. So, uh, best Lottery of luck to him. Yeah. Lottery pick. We're going to move on from one Auburn sport to the next. Auburn baseball, man, what a slump they've been in. They go on the road, play a top 25 team in Georgia Tech. They went on the road against the Fighting Yellow Jackets 7-3. The winning pitcher for the day is Trey Sprite, moves to 3-3 three and three on the year, and Auburn hits the road again tomorrow where Jacob will be in Tuscaloosa for a three-game series against the Crimson Tide. Hey, they look good on Tuesday night. And, you know, when you're 1-11 in SEC play, you almost want to just give up on it and say, you know what, season's done, let's try to make the SEC tournament. But because of the nature of the SEC, if you get to 13 wins – you have a chance at making the tournament. And Auburn is going into the easiest part, part of the schedule. schedule. <laughs> yeah. You play one more ranked opponent series-wise, and that's Florida, who they are hit or miss. You right. play them at Plainsman Park, and with the way their bullpen pitches, it, it's like Auburn against Arkansas, and that's a, and it's on a consistent basis. So you don't know what's going to happen with that series. Auburn has a chance, realistically, to win the rest of its series. Of course, Georgia is a question mark because it's on the road and we they saw just what they beat did Vandy. Vanderbilt. Yeah. I really think that that was just lightning in a bottle. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's going to continue. We'll see if they prove me wrong. But, look, that was what Auburn needed. It was. A nice win where there wasn't any sweating at the end. Carson Swilling came in, struck out the side in the bottom of the ninth. Perfect Didn't even dab up Stephen Williams. He did. Just, yeah, Stephen, Stephen, was, was, like, Stephen was not happy. He was like, dude, you got to come give me a high five. Like, <laughs> I know you're new to this and all, but... No, but I, I thought it was the perfect game for Auburn to try to get back on track. And like I said, who knows what happens down the stretch because you got the easy part of your schedule. Well, and speaking of getting back on track and... You know, having a great game. Stephen Williams, I mean, that dude loves Georgia Tech's ballpark. (laughs) He does. I mean, flashback to two years ago, the walk-off, and then hits another home run. Almost hit two home runs. That second one hit off the wall, I believe. The second one just needed a little bit better launch angle, and it would have been replay of two years ago. Literally literally the exact same spot over right field fence, just a few more uh, reps in the weight room. But (laughs) regardless, he had a great game, went two for four, also scored a run, hit four runs in. Bryson Ware, he had a home run. He went one for three, two RBIs. And he he walked. Yes, That's what I like to see because Bryson's had some struggles with the plate discipline. He's been very inconsistent this year. He started off the year and saying, I had the prediction he would have the most home runs on the team. Didn't think Tyler Miller was going to do what he was going to do this year. But which he hasn't done a lot lately. He's right. kind of been in a he's cold slumped. streak. But where he's hitting right around 300, which is good. But it's just been on and on and on and off. I think him drawing some walks would be big for his confidence, and he's not a bad runner either. So now, big for confidence, like Jacob mentioned, another portion of the game that we'll get into pitching. Auburn's been they've been lacking in the bullpen. Uh, you could argue that might be Auburn's kryptonite so far this season. I mean, Auburn's offense has been there, um, consistent or not. It's scored runs. It's kind of been the bullpen that has let the Tigers down. Auburn pitched six guys 
uh, in the midweek game. It started with Trace Bright, like we mentioned. Moved on to Peyton Glavin, had Seb Thomas, Cam Hill, Will Morrison, like Hillman mentioned. Carson Swilling closed the game out. And I think nearly all these guys did pretty well as they could have. Yeah, Cam Hill was the only disappointment. But what, what the great thing about that was Will Morrison coming right in and, and shutting the door. Exactly. Yeah. He didn't give up anything. And, and and like you said, you got six guys in. And Butch was telling Andy Bertram on uh, the Talking Tigers par- podcast on Monday, he wanted to get a pitcher in every two innings. Well, when Trace Bright does what he did, it's hard to do that. Of yeah. course, at the very end of his outing, he gave up a big two-run home run. But, but Trace that, has been prone to the wall. He has. He has been. Him and Richard. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things. It's just the way they pitch. Yeah. The the, the way those pitches stay high in the yeah. zone. They're it's gonna... hard to get it down with that arm slot that they both pitch from because they pitch from a similar arm slot. Exactly. So, I was, I was like you said, I was happy. Now, these are not the guys you're going to see first out of the bullpen on the weekend. No. But when you got this much depth, well, hey, that's great. And one thing I was going to mention was Seb Thomas. I mean, I feel like this is a guy who hasn't pitched as much out of the bullpen this season now, he hasn't had a perfect start every time, but he pitched well in this game as well. He only pitched an inning, faced three, faced a minimum, put all three of them down. Um, I mean, I think that's a guy that going forward, Robert can look for. Well, his last meaningful appearance before Tuesday yeah. was Boston College. Yeah, and you know that that's that happens to pitchers. Well, no, he sometimes. pitched against uh, Mississippi State, right? It was, but it wasn't great. It wasn't yeah. meaningful. As and I said. the Boston College series, that was a ugly one too. Exactly. So, so the whole thing, and Seb was Seb was in in that ninth inning. It's good to see him have an inning of work like that. Yeah. It, it's so important for a guy's confidence. And, hey, I say that's another arm you can go to in the bullpen now. It is. And like we mentioned, all we're facing Alabama, we'll go ahead and get into that. The Tigers are 13-3 and when they out-hit their opponents, and they're 0-11 when they're allowing more hits this season. <laughs> but uh, all-time series against the Crimson Tide, Auburn is down 134-163. to 163. Um, But they are 9-7 against Alabama under Butch Thompson, so maybe some good mojo now. Um, I believe Auburn, wasn't that our freshman year when we did lose in Montgomery. They stopped doing the Capital City Classic, which sucks, but that was the first time we had lost it was. to Bama and Montgomery, but that was also under Butch Thompson. Correct. Yeah, that kind of sucked. But Correct. <laughs> and then they stopped doing it. I they wish won that, the last one ever. <laughs> well, yeah, they're never doing it again. Um, that sucks. That was such a like cool game to do. Uh, they don't do that anymore. But anyways, uh, we're going to go get into it. The problem, or not the problem, they announced it today. The pitching for this weekend for Auburn, the same as last Cody Greenhill, Jack Owen, and Gonzo. I guess that's where we'll start off with, Jacob. I know you weren't really a fan of this, and I'm kind of with you on that, but I want to know why. Yeah, and, it, and it's really one of those things you kind of have to do. It, Joseph Gonzalez, yeah, he gave up nine runs in the first inning. And, you know, when you immediately see that, you're thinking, why? Think a little bit deeper, well, who else are you going to throw? And after what you see from Trace Bright on Tuesday, you think, okay, him, but that's a quick turnaround. You can't do that. So you, you really don't have many options not not to say there's no one that can't do it but right now you don't have confidence in anyone mason barnett ever since he got taken out of the starting role he hasn't been great coming out of the bullpen which you know that was my thought was go back to mason but i understand he's a bullpen guy this year i'm about to say we said that earlier in the season he's not a guy that should be starting this season he can transition to that role in the next season but when you've got cody and jack they're two guys that are solid it's all about that game three starter richard fitz he hasn't been uh, rate in that starting role. So you really want to get Joseph Gonzalez comfortable because we've seen it. We saw it against Arkansas, and we saw it against UAB earlier in the season in the midweek. He can do it. He's shown it. And it's just one bad game that you hope he can completely forget about. To mention the the this starting rotation in particular, though, the rotation of in order of Greenhill, 
Jack Owen, and Gonzo. This is the first time this season that Auburn has used the same rotation in three straight well, weekends. It was the first time last week they had done it two, two times. Weeks, yeah, yeah so. so if they keep it up, you got some consistency, and that's yeah. nice to see. But, hey, look at that Alabama rotation. Yeah. Uh, Good luck. Yeah. Now, of course, Connor Prelove's only thrown one time because he got injured. So he's going to be the game three starter. He's a potential number one overall pick in the 2022 Major League Baseball draft. And like I said, he's coming off an injury starting game three. So I'm not sure what to expect from him. He might he might be on a pitch count. 60 pitches is kind of what I expect. But I don't know what kind of stuff he's going to show. Whereas Dylan Smith and Tyler Ross, you know what you're going to see, and it's going to be good stuff. And that 0-3 record is very, very misleading. I think I'm going to... I'm going to go ahead and give a prediction. I say Auburn gets 2 of 3. I say Auburn wins Friday night, or sorry, tomorrow night, so Thursday through Saturday series. I say Auburn wins the Cody Greenhill start. I just think that Auburn's been rolling with that momentum from Georgia Tech. That was a great top 25 win. Why not take it into the first game against your rival? The game that Auburn loses, and I hate to say it, is the game on Friday night where Jack Owen starts. Um, I know it's against Dylan Smith, with which, like Jacob said, I mean, it's still a great pitching staff regardless of the record in the ERA. I mean, it's still a low ERA at 2.58. Well, see, that's why I say the record's misleading. Yeah, exactly. He gets zero run support. It's nuts. I, yeah. I paid attention to it a little bit this year, and it's crazy. He lost the game one nothing. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that you can't do that. And the thing is, is, I mean, Jack, besides Arkansas, just, I mean, last weekend against Mississippi State, he just did not have his stuff. I feel like that's going to carry over for some reason, just have a feeling in the back of my head. Um, so I say Auburn loses that matchup, and like Hillman said, Prelope will probably be on that pitch count. I think Auburn can take Alabama deeper in the offensive category. Now, Helena High School alum Sam Prater, he's had a great offensive season. I think if it comes down to a final pitch or at bat, I think he could extend the game for them on Saturday or even win it for them in the uh, rubber match. Prater is their but, RBI leader. Yeah, with twenty-seven. I think I think Auburn goes two of three. I really do. I do too. I don't think it's that same. I think I think they get the wins on Thursday and Friday. I think they have a chance at a sweep. I just, I mean, you don't know what you're gonna get from Prelip. Prelip might come out. Well, you don't know what you're gonna get from it. Gonzo either. You're right. It's kind of hit or miss this season with him. You're right. And Sunday th- game threes because this is on Saturday. Man, well, I hate that. It's terrible. I hate that. Why? <laughs> it should be Sunday. It should yeah. be Friday. It's Sunday. Especially in a rivalry game like this, so you can. Well, have you know why? People. It's gonna TV. It's gonna be on SEC Network on Thursday mm-hmm. night with Tom Hart calling it and. That's I love why. Tom, but that's terrible. Yeah, it, it gets it gets more eyes on him. Yeah. But point being, that game three is always going to be weird. And after what happened in game three last week for Auburn, I don't know. And I think they get two out of three as well because game three's have been bad for Auburn this year. They have been. <laughs> they just been really bad. bad. Other than the Round Rock Classic when they beat Texas A and M, you're right. Yeah. I, I but I, I look for Auburn to get two out of three and really really carry that Georgia Tech momentum into this weekend and hey even the next weekend no matter what happens on in game three if you get two out of three auburn is auburn fans are going nuts because you haven't gotten a series win this year and like i said just get to that 13 win mark in sec play go get a tournament win or two in the sec tournament and hey you got a chance at the ncaa's auburn's on the downhill of the back half of their schedule probably one of the easier schedules in the league right now uh, remains for the Tigers, but they're going to start off with the Alabama Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa. That's this Thursday, tomorrow, or today uh, when this podcast gets released through this Saturday, so keep an eye out for the Tigers. Uh, lastly, on today's podcast, a little bit of a sensitive subject still for one of us, uh, <laughs> MLB baseball and our teams in particular, and the fact that two no-hitters have already been thrown this season, one of them being today uh, from the White Sox is Carlos Rodon. Um, it was a perfect game until he hit somebody in the foot. That's so disappointing. In the ninth inning, it's 
I think it one was, out. I think it was sold by the batter a little bit, but yeah, and he didn't really make that much of an effort to get to get, get out of the way. So I agree, but we can we can start on a on a happier note. Uh, we'll we'll go to my team first. You know, usually it's the other way. It's been the other way around the past it has year. Been. It so has been. We'll, we'll start with a happier note and let me rant after you're done. The Red <laughs> so Sox are nine and three after starting out zero and three. I mean, what what in the world? I mean. Red Sox are six and zero away from home. First of all, mm-hmm. I mean they they've only lost three games. And they were all at home, which is strange. But the Red Sox go to the Twins. Had one game postponed due to the riots and whatnot um, up north. But they played three straight. Had a doubleheader today. Sweep the doubleheader. They're already up three zero on the series. The Orioles, who swept them earlier in the season, go ahead and get revenge for them on the road in Camden Yards, and they beat the AL defending AL champions, the Rays, at home. So. The Red Sox have quickly bounced from one of the worst in the AL East in the first few games to the top of the division. Early MVP candidate JD, JD Martinez. <laughs> I think so. I just just go on the easiest I mean, pages. Team leaders is JD Martinez, and they are good numbers. Yeah, JD Martinez already having five home runs this year, averaging three seventy eight at the plate. His slug is eight sixty seven. I mean, he can play outfield and DH, so it'd be kind of tough to where you'd label him at. But no, he's been on a hitting streak lately. I mean, his bat's been white hot. He. Uh, He's been the guy that everybody's kind of been looking to this year with Bogarts and uh, Rafael Devers, especially with such new faces on the team and young guys like Verdego. I mean, he had a homer today to, I mean, kind of seal the deal for Boston. So he's been the guy that the clubhouse has kind of looked for, and Alex Cora probably said, like, hey, man, like, we're going to have a long year, and we're going to need you to be kind of the, the leader to take us through the fire. And he kind of took that to heart. So he's had a great season so far. I'm expecting him to keep that up. And like I said, I'm just – I had no expectations. And like I said, it's still early in the season, guys. 12 games in for Boston. I'm not going to make any wild predictions or anything yet. I'm still trying to be cautiously optimistic. But what a turnaround that is to start 0-3 and be 9-3. Well, yeah, especially 0-3 against the Orioles, who are going to be one of the worst teams in baseball. As they always are. That that has to be such a confidence killer. But then you bounce back the way you do if you're the Red Sox. That's so impressive to me, especially early in the season, because some teams, they get down early in the season, and then they don't really bounce back for a while. And I'm going to get into one of those teams. But speaking of the Red Sox, I mean, look at the pitching. It's not been terrible. You've got a few, you know, Garrett Richards, that's not good. (laughs) But there hasn't, other than him, you don't really have any crazy ERA numbers other than a few relief pitchers, but that happens. They only pitch two outs or And their bullpen's not crazy anyways, so. But the starting pitching seems to be managing things. And I think that's what's important for the Red Sox. You don't have to have David Price or, or, or John Lester again. Or there's Chris Sale who's still yes, battling exactly. injury. I mean, Th- those you can live without those guys as long as you're managing the games, and as long as the bats stay the way they are, you're doing fine until he gets back. And while Nathan Eovaldi and Eduardo Rodriguez are still holding it down, I mean, Rodriguez is coming back from injury. He's only started two games so far this year, but he is two and zero. I mean, he's only given up nine hits so far. He's averaging an ERA of three point six, and then Eovaldi a two point oh eight ERA. I mean, he's already got fourteen Ks and three starts on the year, so. I mean, that's quick to start the season out like that. And Matt Barnes, who, excuse me, has already has two saves on the year. I mean, he's a guy who actually, within the past several years, I haven't really been pleased with in our ball club. I mean, he's been kind of a guy to blow games and blow some leads just because he always leaves the ball kind of up in the zone and his Mm. off-speed stuff isn't great. But he already has two saves on the year, like I said. I think he might be that guy that we can look for uh, to shut the door on opponents, too. And look at that strikeout-to-walk ratio. 14-2 to in seven innings of work? Yeah. That's really impressive. Yeah. He uh, he's I don't know what's happened I don't know if it's Alex Cora coming back or 
or what, but he's definitely been a guy that Boston can lean on. And like I said, I'm cautiously optimistic. It's way too early to say anything, but I'm very pleased with what I've seen with the Red Sox lately, obviously. Something else that's too early to say is that the Braves are not oh, it man. this year. Spain but, without the S. With that being said, I'm very, very displeased with the way things are going. Because well, first of all, it's a one-man show. The Phillies should not have won the other night. Okay, well, okay. Give Hold on, we're going to start a whole other episode just on this one play at the plate. So we can have Jacob just let it, just let it out. Okay. Because rightfully so. I mean, he still we'll, hasn't touched home plate. We'll, 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 we'll start off with that. It's been three days. Alec Baum... Never came close to touching no. the plates. Bomb, the bomb's foot stopped in the dirt, and then uh, was Darno catching? Yes. And when Darno reached across the plate to tag him, lifts his foot up, and instead of touching back on the bag, he lands in the dirt again. Probably. And Darno's touching him with the ball, and he's like, so you should definitely be out. Yeah. At replay least, it, and he's still... At safe. least six inches off yeah. the plate. And apparently replay can't see that. How do you have an ESPN broadcasted game and not have enough camera angles to tell you oh see that's i mean there was there was (laughs) yeah but i mean how do you look at those and just be like say there's not conclusive evidence to overturn that call i mean like i can see in real time being like like making that mistake because it was a close play probably oh i thought he was safe too just because you the foot looks like it hits the bag the way the play happened but when you go back and you watch the replay from behind home plate and then from the braves dugout there is no way on god's green earth that that play should have been called safe. Well, you know John Boy. A lot of yeah. baseball fans will know John Boy. He did a breakdown of it, and he did exactly what you should do if you're the replay center: sync up the freaking angles, and that tells you the whole story. And it's, and like he and the way he phrased it was: this is not some kind of crazy technology. This is just time stamp, time step, match, and you've got it. Well, I know like a lot of Braves fans also said, and you could probably attribute to this is also like if you're gonna make a call like that, even after you've seen replay. Then what's the point of the replay? Exactly. Because here's the thing. That's yeah. still new in baseball. Exactly. And what 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 angle is going to tell you everything? Usually it's not. So the whole thing is, oh, we've got multiple angles. Let's use them and piece it, piece it together. Because the the mate, the one big angle was the one behind the pitcher's mound where you see his foot, but the dirt kind of blocks everything. You see it come up and you see it stay up, but you can't tell if it's toe touching or not. There's another angle where the umpire's leg blocks it for half a second. But you see that his foot clearly, after it goes up in the air, doesn't touch back on home plate. Put it together. And it tells you everything you need to know. Right. And I I hope... There's no way that call should have ended the way it did. I, well, the thing I'm most pissed off about is that they did not release a statement. Major League Baseball did not release a statement on Monday, first thing in the morning. Because they should have. That call was so wrong that you have to release a statement. You have to talk about how, okay, we're going to have a plan for changing replay or getting rid of it because guess what? At that point, it's just a time waster because that's exactly what that was on Sunday night. I mean, that replay took a long time. It did. Just for them to say, oh, it stands because we can't 100,000% say he didn't touch the plate when, yeah, you could because all you have to do is look at the three different angles, put them together, and realize... Yeah, his foot never touched home plate. There's this dude. Uh, there's this video. And when we get done with the podcast, I'll show you it. But it's on TikTok. I know a lot of people have TikTok, but <laughs> it's of Braves fans. I believe they're in the uh, like third base upper deck, um, and he's got his phone out, and like you can hear everybody's like, "There's no way he touched home plate." Like, and they're showing the replay. It's like, yeah, like he's definitely like out. 
And then uh, everybody gets quiet, like, as they see the headphones come off of the umpire, and he goes, all right, let's see. And as soon as, like, he zooms in, the umpire always making the call, like, umpire, like, sticks his arm out, and the whole stadium starts cursing and throwing, because they th- were throwing stuff on yeah, the field. Yeah, Danzy Swanson was not happy about that, but... And then the funny thing, he goes, he turns around and goes, man, this is awesome, it's like a WWE match. <laughs> well, everybody's hey, booing and everything. On but... a different subject, it's great to have fans back. Yes. I love it. That was, I mean, it. I don't love throwing stuff on the field. But when you miss a call like that, it's going to happen. Yeah. A lot. And Phil Fly In a, in a, a divisional game, too. Well, yeah. That's it's not thing. like it's a cross-divisional or cross-league game. I mean, it's this is the divisional series. I, I wish the Braves had played under protest. Brian Snicker didn't get thrown out only because when he came out of the dugout, he said, I know it's not y'all. <laughs> like, straight up to the umpire because it's not their decision. They're just listening to what the guys in New York say. But he, he gave them a talking, and if he didn't lead off with that, he would have gotten Which, run. that's another thing that I, okay, if I had to make a change to baseball replay, first of all, I, I wasn't a fan of replay when it came into the game, but I'm a fan of it now. If I could change it, and in college baseball too, why not let it be like college, or even college football doesn't even have this, which I don't know why, but let them have some sort of tablet or device or in sync. They can watch right. with the guys back at the MLB quarters or the SEC headquarters and sit there and watch the play live with them, and they can discuss like, well, do you see his foot right there? Is it down or up? I can't really tell. And they can have the capability to zoom in, zoom out, get different angles or whatever. Um, I think that probably I could agree. have prevented Braves from losing that game. Well, see, I think that's the whole thing is the umpires were probably watching the the video board with all the fans, the players and stuff. And they probably saw it. I don't think it's a two-way communication. I think it's a one-way communication. They're listening. And that's the whole thing. Whenever Snicker comes out and harasses them, they're probably, we agree. Yeah. We, he no, was dude, clearly we, out. We know, dude. It's like, but they're telling us he's That's he's what safe. we were told. So, But on a lighter note, Ronald Acuna is still a freaking beast without the dreads. I hate that. So, oh, man, he, he was 447 with six, with six dingers, 12 RBIs in the peak. I mean, so far, I would definitely say he's the leading candidate. Hey, in the, hey, wouldn't that be cool if each of our teams hey, had an MVP winner? We would be some we'd be some happy sports fans. <laughs> we would be. But, but knock on wood but, and but, save that. I do need the Braves to win some games for me to be even happier because, like I said, Ronald Acuna Jr., he's the only one doing anything. Oh, yeah, I was about to read out everybody. Everybody else's <laughs> averages, Swanson 156, Ozuna 178, MV Free batting 205, Albies at second base batting under 160, Darno not terrible at 231, and then Austin Riley at 211. Hey. Christian Pache, um, he's batting 100. So <laughs> Pache, he's not out there for his hey, bat. I'm gonna go ahead and say that. Besides Max Fried, because he's batting 400, the second highest batting average on the Atlanta Braves is Pablo the Panda Sandoval. Yeah, at 286. Yeah, and he had a terrible strikeout tonight in the ninth inning. He's hit or miss. He is. But the, point being. Roderick Jr. tonight in the 6-5 loss to the Marlins, or Wednesday night if you're listening to this on Thursday, which that's when it gets released. He scored three of the five runs in uh, for the Braves. The other two he runs... He scored 15 in this year. Yeah. That's eight more than the next highest guy. Yeah, yeah. The other two runs that were scored in the game were because he hit a home run. <laughs> so... <laughs> Atlanta, my drift. The Atlanta Acunas. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, because... He is absolutely out there having a blast. He is. And even when they're losing, even when Max Freed, look, look at his pitching numbers. They're not good, babe. No, they're not great. And I, I, I really am begging for Soroka to come back. Of course, he got shut down for another three weeks because he had uh, shoulder soreness or tightness or something. It's frustrating right now. I'm surprised the Braves are 4-8. and eight. Yeah. They're on a losing streak. And it's funny, I was, I was talking to another Braves fan, and 
It's when they were on the four-game win streak. Hey, at least the Braves are winning, and then Alec Bohm happened. Yeah, starting pitching for the Braves, at least statistically, well, besides Max Fried, obviously, um, isn't terrible. I mean, obviously... They're in good position. They're in yeah. good position. Charlie Morton's pitching great. I mean, Inoa, I mean, he's pitched great. Wasn't he a bullpen guy? That was I mean, fantastic. He pitched out of the stretch in the top of the first or bottom <laughs> of the first inning uh, against Washington. Bay lost his mind. I, I I walked out of my room in our apartment, and like my room, like the door faces the flat screen, and I walk out and I see his bottom. I'm like, okay, bottom of the first, and the pitcher's getting warmed up for Atlanta. I'm like, oh, he's only in the stretch because they're about to throw down, and it's like two or three pitches in the inning. I get a water out of the fridge, and I'm like. Is this dude still pitching in the stretch? <laughs> like, is there anybody on base? And Hillman's like, nah, he's a reliever, but he's going to start. He's started two games this year. I mean, he had 10 Ks. Yeah, hey, his K to walk ratio is 15 to 2, and his ERA is 0.75. I mean, I, I love the position we're in with pitching other than Max Free. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying Max Free's not going to get back to it. No, yeah. I totally trust him to get back to his old four. His, his last several starts, I'll say, have not been good. Like, his last nine. There's a there's a stat. He's given up a lot. I think his ERA is above a five in his last nine starts, which isn't good. He's given up nine home runs. So I, I'm really looking for him to get back into it. And then of course, please come back, Mike Soroka, soon. Yeah. I don't know how soon that'll be. So four game losing streak for Atlanta. They lose four to start the season out. Win four to get back to 500. Lose four again uh, between the Phillies and Marlins. They play tomorrow. At 11.20 a.m., we'll see how that one pans out. Get one from the Marlins, please. <laughs> but as of right now in the NL East, the Mets are up 5-3 to three in first place. Philadelphia falls right behind at 500. They're on a three-game losing streak at 6-6. Six and six. Miami at 5-6 and six on a four-game winning streak. You never thought you'd say that. <laughs> Washington at 3-6 and six and then followed by Atlanta, like we mentioned, 4-8 and eight on a four-game losing streak. And, and one more thing I'll say about the Braves is I think this weekend series against the Cubs will be a good chance to really get things going because – the Cubs are not a good team. They, they've really kind of gone back and forth. That makes me sad because of Ross. So. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, They uh, most of their wins have come against the Pirates, which is not impressive. They've gone back and forth. It's Pirates-Brewers-Pirates-Brewers series. And like I said, most of those wins have come against the Pirates with two against the Brewers. I really think that this is going to be the chance for them to get it going Friday through Sunday, Sunday night baseball as well. For a second straight week, hopefully, and then Wednesday there's night, on this call a week from the today. Yeah, all, all I'm saying is that is the series to get it back on track and get some confidence in some hitters and some pitchers. I will I will agree with that statement, and I'll even one up you and say that the midweek against New York could be a great momentum swing. Mm-hmm. Um, Chicago, like Jacob said, not a great team so far this year. Um, still early in the season, but if you can go on the road, win a series against a Chicago team who has been decent. I mean, they were a good team last year and the year before, I believe they were pretty decent. And then you go on the road to a New York team, and I mean, it's the Yankees. Anytime you beat the Yankees, that's a huge momentum swing. Um, Beat the Yankees on ESPN on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then come back home for a seven-game home stretch against Arizona and Chicago combined. I mean, I know it's early, but that could be like a, not a turning point, but that could be the start of a huge ball of momentum. Just keep rolling and rolling. Get back into the top few seeds in the NL East. You don't have to get to number one, but go ahead and start placing yourself in that top tier um, of those teams to put yourself in a good position before the All-Star break occurs here in a few months. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's just the NL East, it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be very... It's going to be like the SEC East. I mean, here's the thing. One really good team, and then just everybody else right behind them. The Mets are leading the division with, at 5-3 and three only because they didn't play those first three games. And because somebody leaned into a pitch. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They should be 4-4. Four and four. 
But that's the thing. All these teams are kind of beating up on each other. Yeah. And and we'll see. It'll 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 find its way and figure itself out midseason to the late later parts of the season. I don't expect the Marlins to be up there, and I expect the Mets to stay up there. But it's the Phillies, Nationals, and Braves. It's all about them. Yeah. Because it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's a long season. It's 162 games. Right, one thing we do know is the Dodgers are still good. You know what's sad, and I'm I'm waiting for the rest of the games to come out after July 11th. But Red the Red Sox and Atlanta play each other pretty often. Like every other year they'll play in Atlanta, and this year they just so happen to. Oh wait, no, they are. Are they in Atlanta? They are in Atlanta. June 15th to 16th. I saw where they were playing at Boston. So there it is. Sounds like me and Jay will be going to that game. I, just I was going to say. I thought they didn't play them in Atlanta this year. I was looking at the schedule a few weeks ago. But anyway, sorry. That well, was th- think about it. We've got a normal schedule now. I think, yeah, I think most teams see each other um, now. But, yeah. So, you know what's well, interesting? Um, before before we finish up, looking at, looking at the standings in all the divisions, like, obviously only like 12 games in for most teams. But, like, it is. It's a little backwards. It really is. The Royals lead the AL Central. The Angels, don't they still lead the West? They do. Yeah. Over the Mariners. Yeah. So Astros, Rangers, and Athletics are the ones the at Rangers, the bottom. The Rangers deserve to be booed. The, or not the Rangers, the Astros. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. the Most of these divisions, the last place seen, okay, Rockies don't count. Or the Diamondbacks because the Dodgers are insane. But everything else is like two or three games. Yeah. And then the, the Yankees and Rays are four games back at the Red Sox because the Red Sox are on a tear. Yeah. Hey. I think we have a fun season ahead. I was going to say, because um, we might get some surprises. Yeah. A surprise like Tatis getting hurt. That kind of hurt my AL MVP pick, which that, that sucks for him. Well, I, I think he'll be back sooner than you think. Yeah. It wasn't anything, like, super detrimental, but... Oh, it looked... It, hey, the way that everyone was talking about it, I thought he was done for the year. Yeah. But that's it for today's show. If you missed any part of it, you can go back and replay it. It's all on the podcasting platforms if you ever want to listen to it again. A-Day this Saturday... Walker Kessler comes to Auburn. We talked about Auburn baseball traveling to Tuscaloosa. Jacob's going to be traveling while this show is airing on the podcasting platform. So he'll be in Tuscaloosa trying to see if the COVID snap was real for his road games. <laughs> and the Braves are struggling, but the Red Sox are turning it around. Do you have any final thoughts? Hey, as you said, I, I'm just, I just want to see if, if I really did break the curse. And we'll find out this weekend. What would be the betting odds for if, Yes, Jacob has broken the curse. Probably plus 250 about yeah. there. I don't think so. I think that was a one-off. Because of what happened the very next week, yeah. they were like, we'll give we'll give him something to be happy about, then we'll take away everything. everything. <laughs> take it all away. Yeah, I think that's pretty good odds. But That's going to be the scoreboard for today, folks. Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Like I said, if you missed any part, it'll be up on Spotify, Apple Music, um, where you're probably listening to this, too. You can go back and replay it. We appreciate you listening. Sorry we couldn't go live today. Um, but we were glad we still had the capability to put this podcast out. Um, we'll be back live next week. It should be Weagle's 50th anniversary show that week. Uh, there's a possibility of the scoreboard going for a little bit longer than normal. Uh, stay tuned for that. We can post that update on our social media, and you can get a little bit more of the scoreboard, and we'll have some fun segment ideas for the 50th anniversary for Weagle. So uh, come check out everybody else at Weagle uh, in those 50th anniversary shows. So uh, thanks for listening to the scoreboard. This has been Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman on Weagle 91.1 FM. This has been the scoreboard on 91.1 FM WEGL with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Join us every Thursday at 4 as Jacob and Bay cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at WEGLFM.com and following us on Twitter and Instagram at WEGL underscore AU.